So reading from Revelation, chapter 17, from verse 1. And if you've got the sermon outline in one hand and the passage in the other, or flick your screen, whatever. Revelation 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. The angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? I'll explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast, she writes, which has the seven heads and the seven horns. A bit of a difficult passage to read because it is a horrible picture, isn't it? It's another scene in this vision that is Revelation, this vision which John wrote down on the island of Patmos and sent to the churches across what we would think of as Turkey. It's another scene because we've got those scene changes I've pointed out to you already. So 7 verse 1, there's the invitation to John to come, the opening of a new scene. And then in 19 verse 11, there's another open door in heaven, another scene. So we're looking at one of the scenes in this big vision. This scene, it doesn't contain a series of seven, like you saw the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven sights and the seven bowls. There's no sevens this time. What this is, it's more like a close-up. It's more like we're zooming in now. So over the last few weeks, we've had the, the series of sevens. They're like these different camera angles. Each scene is a different camera angle on the overlap of the ages, the time between Jesus coming, dying, rising again and his return. So Revelation is written in describing that period of time and what will happen when Jesus returns, what it is we're hoping for. But today, it's like you zoom in, boom, on the end, what will happen when Jesus comes. It's like, I don't know, the, the, the replay, the slow motion replay, or maybe like the bunker review, or Snicko perhaps. Here we are getting a zoom in on the, the sixth and the seventh bowls of wrath that were poured out. In, last, in the last scene. Um, so the angel from the previous scene is there in 7 verse 1. One of the angels who poured out the bowl of wrath is there. And the angel invites John for a closer look. So 7 verse 1 goes, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I'll show you the punishment. Or a better translation is, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can this be a zoom in, a close-up, when there's no prostitutes mentioned in the the bowls of wrath? None at all. That's correct. But look look down at 17 verse 5, the name on this prostitute, writing on the beast. Um, The new NIV has done this funny thing where it says the mystery, 
Most other translations include mystery as part of this name that's on the prostitute's head. Mystery. Babylon the Great. And then if you look back at the seventh bowl of wrath poured out back in 16 verse 19, as we're seeing this devastation being described in 16 verse 19, it says, God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. So chapter 16 verse 9 tells us God poured out his wrath on Babylon. 17 verse 1 we're being told, John, come, I'll give you a closer look at the judgment of this Babylon. Actually, it's not the second time that Babylon has been judged in Revelation. It's the third. If you glance your eyes back to chapter 14, verse 8, in the scene where there were the seven sites in 14, verse 8, you read, a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. The same sort of picture of Babylon. An angel in chapter 17, verse 1 is actually giving John a third look at the way God will judge this Babylon, who's represented as a prostitute. Yet again, um, we're reminded that these scenes in Revelation, they're not chronologically ordered one after the other. It's more like camera angles or layers. Or this week, Snicko, the close-up, the zoom-in. Um, let's do the very quick flyover because that's what we've been doing as we've looked at each of the scenes. So 17 verse 1, the angel tells John to come and see this judgment of the prostitute of Babylon. 17 verse 3, the angel takes John in the spirit to a desert and shows him this prostitute riding a beast. 17 verse 7, well that explains what's happening. Fantastic, this will be easy. 17 verse 15, the angel is still explaining. 18 verse 1, there's another angel. In 18 verse 1, this other angel declares... Babylon has fallen. 18 verse 5, there's another voice calling God's people out of Babylon. And the woes um, of Babylon just go on and on and on. 18 verse 21, another mighty angel grabs a boulder, hurls it into the sea and says, that's how Babylon will be thrown down. And then 19 verse 1, you hear this roar like maybe at, um, at the cricket ground during an AFL game when everyone's bored. 19 verse 1, there's this roar. It's like a scene back in heaven. People praising God like in, in, in chapters 4 and 5. This great multitude giving praise to God. And by now, you're used to this thing where you read through Revelation, whoop, you're back to chapter 4 and 5. You're back to the throne room. That's what's happening again here. Um, we expect that to happen. We expect to see elders falling down on their faces because as Presbyterians, we like the thought of that. But there it is in 19 verse 4, the elders and the four living creatures fall down again. And so pick up the reading at verse 6, 19 verse 6, there's another woman. This, this woman is a complete contrast to the prostitute you meet at the start of chapter 17. So verse 6, then I heard what sounds, sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like the loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah. Let, um, for our Lord God Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. This is the second woman in the passage. But this woman is in complete contrast to the prostitute. Verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. For Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, presumably this is the angel that started everything in 17 verse 1, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And you come to the end of another scene in this vision that is Revelation. There's a little bit that happens there in verse 10, though, 
John does this very foolish thing of falling down to try and worship this angel that's shown this amazing... And the angel says, no, 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 this is all about Jesus. 19 verse 11 opens the new scene, another door in heaven. So John, he's written this vision down and it's written in apocalyptic genre for us. Um, It's this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus. And here we see Jesus judging this Babylon, the prostitute. This scene, 17 verse 1 to 19 verse 10, it's the close-up of the judgment on Babylon, the fall of Babylon at the hand of Jesus' judgment. Last week we saw how um, these visions in Revelation pull in the Old Testament. So last week it was the Exodus language from the Old Testament. And this week it's Babylon language being pulled in from the Old Testament into this vision. So let's do a bit of a refresher, kind of like you know, the coming up to speed so that as we think about this passage, we'll be able to think about it in a similar way that John would have. So when he sees Babylon, what's he seeing? Well, the name of Babylon, it outlived the city itself, the second point on the sermon outline. Come back to, way back into Genesis. Um, Genesis 11 is where you first meet Babylon. I'll read it, I think. It's on the screen if you can read that. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And if you look at the footnote at the bottom of your Bible, it will tell you Shinar is otherwise Babylon. So there it is, Babylon. And this is an account most of you will be familiar with. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that... We may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered across the whole earth. That's how the city of Babylon comes about. This attempt to build this massive tower, this statement of human achievement. Um, It's founded on self-centred human beings and their attempt to essentially knock God off his perch, overthrow God. This city of Babylon was a monument to human achievement. And you notice verse 4, they wanted to make a name for themselves. There is an irony here in Genesis because you get to the next chapter and God singles out Adam, sorry, Abram, and says to Abram, he'll make his name great. God has a plan to make Abram's name great, to make people's name. But this is the people's plan here in chapter 11 of Genesis. The people of Babylon are on about their own business, not God's business. And as you read on in Genesis, we discover God scatters this people by confusing their languages. So um, they abandoned the building of this monument. So Babylon fell. God stooped down to the feisty, self-centered human beings and put them in their place, put an end to Babylon. And so Babylon here in Genesis represents human achievement and defiance against God. Glance back at the passage for today. Glance back at Revelation 17 verse 5. The name written on her forehead, mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. You can hear Genesis 11 in the background, I reckon. This vision that John's shown is loaded with Old Testament imagery. The scattering of the Tower of Babel, that wasn't the end of Babylon, though. They rose again, and through the pages of the Old Testament, they grow into be a powerful nation, a nation which God then uses to judge his people, Israel, Abram's descendants. He has them taken into captivity in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. But again, Babylon falls at the hand of God. 
And listen to the way the prophet Isaiah describes the fall of Babylon. So this is some verses out of a huge swathe of verses in Isaiah where there's this great big prophecy against Babylon, a human power, a human nation. Um, Isaiah 14 verse 12, we're jumping into the middle of this larger section that goes, How you have fallen from heaven, O O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. You can hear the way Isaiah is bringing um, Genesis into this, can't you? I will ascend to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I'll ascend above the tops of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. There's Babylon representing human achievement again and defiance against God, and Babylon again falls. Um, Babylon becomes, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament even, this kind of label, this symbol, this way of talking about human arrogance. And incidentally, if you are reading the King James, you'll notice there in 14 verse 12, they translate morning star as Lucifer. I'd call that kind of an over-translation. I guess that just shows you that every human translation of the Bible um, has its glitches. And so any rant I might have against the NIV 2011 needs to be moderated. But in the pages of the Bible, Babylon becomes this symbol, this label, this nickname for human pride, human arrogance. It's in the New Testament as well. So if you look at... These passages, I think, are on the sermon outline. If you look at 1 Peter 5, as Peter's wrapping up his letter, he says in verse 13, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my my son Mark. I'm thinking Peter is probably in Rome as he writes this letter, and he's kind of like using that Old Testament language of Babylon to say Rome is just like Babylon, human achievement, human pride, human arrogance. The point is, the name Babylon outlived the city herself and it became the symbol of human pride and defiance against God. And with that all in the background, John sees this vision in Revelation 17. So with that lengthy background, come back to the chapter. Um, In chapter 17, John's shown Babylon the prostitute wearing robes of what sounds like royalty but having the same filthy heart that she's always had through the pages of the Bible. So 17 verse 1, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. It's this picture language, this apocalyptic vision language describing the way that people go for human pride. Verse 3, and then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert where... There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her head, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. There she is in this vision in 3D, Apocalyptic pictures, Babylon, the prostitute, in all her filth, the symbol of human arrogance, self-indulgent pride, open defiance against God, the creator of the universe. There she is. And you look at who suffers at the hand of human pride. Verse 6, 17, verse 6, I saw the woman was drunk 
with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. You see this picture clearly? Babylon is at odds with God. The world is at odds with God and the Lamb and at odds with those who serve God and the Lamb and it's God's servants who suffer. We're reading this though. We want to know, okay, well, who does Babylon represent this time? Who is this describing? What great nation is this describing? That's our question, isn't it? Thankfully, 17 verse 7, the angel offers to explain all this so you can relax. Um, the prostitute here, he says, is riding, on, riding around on the back of a beast. Now, remember back in chapter 13, we met a few beasts, one from the earth and one from the sea, both serving the dragon, serving Satan. Beasts as in human authorities, maybe religious leaders even, the, the second one. 13 verse 3 describes a beast from the sea as having been given a fatal wound that's now been healed. Compare that with this passage, so 17 verse 8. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. Once was, now is not, will come back to be destroyed. This is the picture, isn't it? This is a completely different picture than what you get about Jesus back in chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is, it says, I am the living one, you know, the one walking through the lampstands. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. This one's not going to be alive forever and ever. It just comes to be destroyed. Um, the beast was, is not, and will come back for its destruction. 13, verse 3 says the world was in awe and followed that beast back in 13, verse 3. Similar thing here, 17 verse 8, second half of the verse, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life, so those that don't belong to the Lamb, um, from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it was, was not, is yet to come. So the angel's explanation of who this Babylon is, all he's doing is taking us back to what he's already shown, we've already been shown in this vision, in Revelation. And there's echoes all through of the Old Testament Babylon, the symbol of human pride. So this is like zooming in on the sixth bowl of God's wrath back in the last scene where all the kings of the earth gather against God. The kings of the world gather together against God for a final showdown and it's like here the angel is giving us the zoom in and we know how this will end. But commentators also want to tell us who um, this beast and prostitute represent. And they zoom in on verse 9 and 10 in particular. So verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. And you'll see if you've got a sermon outline, Rome is built on seven hills. And then verse 10, they are also, they are also seven kings, five have fallen one is, the other is not as yet to come, but when he does come, he will remain. With a bit of a sleight of hand, you can line this up with Roman emperors. So, some people say this passage is talking about Rome, and they get to 17 verse 8, and that locks it in. 17 verse 8, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Yeah, this is a vision of Rome, God judging Rome. And there is every likelihood that the original readers of Revelation would make those connections and see the prostitute, this symbol of human pride, see Rome as exactly that. 
And so this is a vision of God bringing judgment on Rome. They may look like they're the victors at the moment, but God will bring his justice. But then there's others who look at this passage and they say, well, actually, the prostitute, she represents the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, that city. God's people who are apostate, who have not recognised the Messiah. That fits in with history too. I mean, they, they join the dots through Revelation. Um, you can see this outside Revelation too. I mean, you read the book of Acts. You see what the, the Israelites, what the Jews do to Christians, how they persecute them, get drunk on the blood of the saints, that Revelation kind of language. And then you read the Gospels and you see the way the selfish Jews, Jewish leaders, they are Babylon-like as they agitate to have Jesus crucified and totally disregard God's Messiah. And so, yes, you look at Jerusalem, Israel, apostate Israel, and you see Babylon, the prostitute. And so for this vision of God in Revelation, yeah, it looks like Rome. It looks like Israel. How can both be true? Well, I reckon, um, I don't know, when we were little kids, there were these dodgy little cards that, um, they call them motion cards, where you move the card and you see a different picture. They're really thick because there's layers to them. Um, I did ha- try to put a GIF in the sermon outline, so in, the, in the screen thing, so you'd see the thing moving, but I couldn't make it work. But those little owls on the happy birthday card, they open and shut their eyes as you move the, move the card. I'm told there is a name for these winking eye type pictures. The motion cards is what some people call them and there's another name here. Um, Lenticular printing is how they make them. So they put multiple pictures on the same bit of plastic with angles in the plastic so you move it and you see different things from the same card. And see, the thing is, well, there's the explanation. You can Google it yourself sometime. When we were kids, they were the daggy little, dodgy little versions. But these days, of course, things are far more... Uh, technical and you can make moving things, video or whatever. The technology in Revelation leaves that for dead because you look at this vision in Revelation 17, 18 and 19, you look at it different ways and you see Rome, you see Jerusalem because what you're seeing is you're seeing human pride and arrogance. And for us, we look at it and yeah, we see capitalism, we see materialism. We see selfish human rulers. It's just as current now as it was then. It's a really cool card. Remember this scene in Revelation? This is a picture of God's judgment on Babylon the prostitute. This is God bringing justice to human pride. And so have a look how it goes. So 17 verse 15, the way Babylon falls, um, God uses her allies to bring her down. 17 verse 15, then the angel said to me, the waters you saw... Where the, where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They'll bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They'll eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. It's this picture of God completely sovereign and in control, just like he used filthy Babylon, to bring judgment on his people Israel in the, when they were taken into exile. So he brings Babylon down by her allies. It's the way God works. He'll do it time and time again. You flick the card, you see it in our world, time and time again. 
Her allies will turn on her. It's part of God's plan. We get another angle on Babylon's fall as you read into chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. And while Babylon thinks she's great, God asserts his might and his power. Pick it up in 18 verse 8. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, famine shall be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. God will not let human pride and arrogance go on forever. God will demonstrate his might and his power. God's justice is so sudden and so complete that it strikes terror in all those who align themselves with Babylon, with the prostitute. 18 verse 9, Then the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning. They will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. God will show his might. He will bring justice to everyone's, I suppose, not astonishment, but awe. Um, The allies of the prostitute will lament, but the saints rejoice. So you pick up 18 verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she's treated you. In verse 21 of chapter 18, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. God will bring his justice. Everyone will stand in awe and God will be praised. The scene is all about Babylon, the prostitute, falling. The fall of human pride and achievement. The fall of human might and power because God is sovereign. But then, there is that second woman in this passage. The bride of the lamb. And you meet her in chapter 19. Um, When you return to the throne room, this scene of everyone giving praise to God, there she is, 19 verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, will be given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The complete contrast of the prostitute Babylon. Complete contrast, pure and clean. The prostitute fades into distant memory, and we see this bride clean and bright, wearing righteousness. Our passage It starts and finishes with two very different women dressed entirely differently. And the image, it is fantastic as you see this vision and think it through. The message is simple. Live for God, not for the world. Live as followers of Jesus. Don't live for the things of this world. Serve God, not yourself. Yes, as a follower of Jesus, you will suffer at the hands of the ungodly, but hang on. Hold on tight because God will bring justice. And it's yet another encouragement in this vision to persecuted Christians to overcome. And if you're feeling like every week in Revelation you've got the same application, well, that's the way it's written. 
And if it was written in one go, I mean, it says back in 1 verse 3, blessed are those who read it aloud. It's one big take home, persevere, keep trusting in Jesus. But there's another little angle here. So don't tolerate Babylon of Genesis 11. Don't tolerate Babylon of Daniel's day. Don't tolerate human self-centered pride and arrogance that sets itself against God. Come out of her is the language you see here. Our passage, it starts and finishes with two women and what they wear, the harlot and the bride, one clothed in outward pleasures, the other clothed in inward purity and righteousness. And then, if you look down, we know how this righteousness is achieved. Back in 8 verse 14, way back in Revelation 8 verse 14, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' death in our place is what makes us clean and righteous and pure. And back here in today's passage, 18 verse 4, come out of her, my people, come out of Babylon, so that you do not share in her sins, so that you do not receive any of her plagues. The lesson in the passage is nice and clear. Don't be lured. Don't be attracted by this prostitute. Don't be lured into human achievement and human pride. Don't be tricked by arrogance and the appearance of success that will be short-lived. Don't ally yourselves with her because in the end she'll be shown for the filth that she is. And on the positive, put your trust in Jesus and his death in your place. Live to serve him. Dress yourself in righteousness and just hang on. It's a bumpy ride, but hang on until Jesus returns because God will bring justice and Jesus will be glorified. The imagery in the passage, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm hoping it helps you see God in all his glory and Jesus in all his power. And let's encourage each other just to keep persevering and not to be lured in by human pride. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for how easy we are distracted um, to living for wealth, for success, or just for selfishness. Lord, we are sorry. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to take our punishment for us to die our death for us, to make us clean in your eyes. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and clothe us in Jesus' righteousness. Please work in us and change us to live for you, we pray. Amen.